Well, guys, the story moves onward, ever onward, as God's rescue operation to bring his beloved back to himself. We're going to be in Genesis again today, uh, chapters uh, all over the place, chapter 21, I think, partly, and 22. But we can get there. Uh, go ahead and turn there. After much ado, there is finally a new baby. And Abraham and Sarah, that is. Not me. Don't start any rumors, right? <laughs> baby Isaac, the child of the promise, has finally arrived and laughter abounds and joy-filled laughter at the wonder of God's miraculous promise come true. New babies, and I'm so glad Freya's is here today. It's so perfect, the Freya's is here. Uh, new babies are such funny creatures. I hope it doesn't hurt her feelings when I say this. And I'm allowed to say this because I've had two babies of my own, right? Uh, they join the world. They are strange little creatures. They arrive in the most dramatic of fashions, all squirms and squiggles and completely dependent on the mercy of the parents, right? Uh, Jojo, now let's be honest. Let's be totally honest today, guys. Newborns are not that cute. Am I allowed to say that? Especially when they are first born. Uh, that's the hormones talking, people. Let's be honest. When Jack was born, Jojo came out. She was a C-section baby, so she came out all like normal looking. But Jack, he came out like his lips were stuck up on his gums like that. And his ears looked like somebody had ironed them to his head, like completely. And I remember when they handed it to me like, we can get that fixed, right? unseam that right it looked like someone had taken irons right there bam and he was like all puffy and swollen like he'd been stung by a thousand bees like his eyes and I remember thinking I love you anyway I love you anyway and then they whisked him off to the NICU and everything you know within 12 hours everything was fine and they brought him back and man he could have had two sets of ears by that point and I didn't even care I just was so glad he was okay and our joy just like bubbled up right that laughter almost that you can't contain because your heart just stretches to create space for this new little one right it stretches and makes space for this new little human to join your family and then we took him home and he cried for three solid weeks it was awesome <laughs> Now imagine the joy of Sarah and Abraham, having waited for so long for that precious one. Now, if you've had to wait for your little ones at all, whether it's because of fertility stuff or because of a snail-paced adoption process, you can imagine this, can't you? You totally, totally can. Sarah's heart had to be near exploding with joy and gratitude. It's no wonder she laughs because her joy is bubbling inside of her and it cannot be contained. Joy at God's kept promise. But even Sarah, as she's snuggling that baby close, as she's nursing him and nurturing him, and she looks out the window of the nursery, and what does she see? But Ishmael, not her kid, it's the child of her disobedience, the child of her lack of faith, the child born out of rebellion and impatience, and Sarah is afraid. Her beloved son grows, and as brothers of the same household do, they're playing together, Isaac and Ishmael, and Sarah looks in fear. Something just snaps irreparably within her, and she realizes the consequences of her sin are embodied in the flesh of that young man, and they cannot be erased or deleted or wished away. He will stand as a testimony to her disobedience and now her fear for her son and his rights. So let's read the word of the Lord this morning, shall we? Ah, uh, I cannot remember. It's what, 21, thank you, starting in verse 18. 
21, starting in verse 8. Yep. The child Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day the child was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son, but God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that the offspring shall be named after you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make him a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham, or Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now God's promise has prevailed. Isaac is here. But Abraham's and Sarah's sin has lasting consequences. And it affects real people like Ishmael and his mother Hagar in fear and anxiety and that persistent jealousy, now, not for herself, but now for her son. Sarah acts in this inexplicably cruel way, banishing Hagar and Ishmael, the son, to the wilderness. It's interesting, isn't it? How someone who has been shown such extraordinary generosity from God who has been given the most precious of gifts in that new life of Isaac, who has been resurrected, in a sense, from a life of barrenness and death and affliction, can now so quickly build like a bunker, right? A bunker of fear and self-protection and exclusion. It's funny how that works, is it not? Sarah has just borne witness, kind of in a literal way, to God's miraculous work, right? Baby, women that are 90 years old do not have babies. That is not a thing. But with God, apparently anything is a thing, right? She has stood by and she has watched God be nothing but faithful to her and to her husband in spite of the, spite of the fact that she actively, intentionally rebelled against him and against his plan and fully enacted her rogue plan B, right? God was faithful to her even then. God's never-ending, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love behaves like that. It's kind of crazy, if you ask me. Now, Sarah's response to that generosity, that free gift of God, is miserly, right? It's closed-fisted and it's hoarder-like. She's got hers, now forget about everybody else and lock that promise up tight. Don't let anybody threaten it with their claims because there's no room for anybody else. There is no room. And so there's this palpable fear in Sarah. This fear that the promise that she has been given somehow isn't enough. There's this feeling of scarcity. Almost as if God's promise is on a lean budget. Okay? Sarah takes it upon herself to defend the promise, to act as that ultimate gatekeeper, to keep out anybody else who might infringe on the promise to her son. But here's the thing that we so often forget. God's promise is not on a budget. God's promise is rich beyond measure, is it not? 
God's promise is deep beyond comprehension. It is a river that has overflowing in its banks. It is the sun flooding the earth with light. There is no scarcity in God's promise. But Sarah, in her fear and in her self-protection, in her anxiety and her jealousy, she took the abundant promise, this gift that she had been given, and she perverted its nature by claiming it as her possession alone. The very nature of the promise, that gift, was that it was meant to be shared, right? I say this so often, you're probably tired of hearing it, but I'm the one with the microphone, so I'm going to say it again. God made it clear to Abraham that he was blessed to be a blessing. He was blessed to be a light to the nations. It was universal. The gift tag on the present might have said Abraham and Sarah, but its contents were meant to be shared, right? When you were a kid, did anybody in here ever listen to Adventures in Odyssey? I, yeah, yeah. Any adults still secretly listen to Adventures in Odyssey, right? Or your grandkids? Uh, it was actually a radio show. Uh, they still have it, actually. But we never listened to it on the radio. We had cassette tapes, yes, and CDs, in fact, yeah. We would listen to them on long road trips. And it was uh, these stories about these kids who lived in this little town. And they were learning lessons about life and faith. And oh, my word, I was such a fan. I was such a fan. Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs had a fake odyssey and i went like a groupie okay and they had this place too where it was like wits end his learning and discovery emporium and you could get ice cream it was the greatest and tommy says he assures me this makes me the biggest churchiest dork of all time uh but i don't even care my kids will totally listen to odyssey anyway there was a story in the Adventures in Odyssey series, and it was about this apartment owner. And he, well, this apartment landlord, right? He was the landlord of, the, of this apartment complex, and the place was just trashed, right? Totally trashed. There was, uh, like, the bathrooms, like, where the bathtubs were falling apart. The faucets were leaking. Like, weird stuff came out of the drain. The carpets was coming apart at the seams. Now, the landlord did his best to, you know, like, patch it up, try to make it work for people. But really, without, like, an infusion of resources from the owner, there was only so much he could do, right? Until finally, the owner realizes, okay, this is really bad. I got to take care of these people. And so he gives the landlord this huge wad of money and says, go fix it. Go take care of this apartment complex. Make it what it needs to be. So the landlord, there he goes, uh, goes off to Home Depot and he walks in. And he is so overwhelmed by the vast assortment of faucets and bathtubs and carpet choices that he just stands in the aisle with a stunned look on his face. And right then, the commission-driven sales lady runs over to him, right, and says, how can I help you, right? And immediately shows him all these luxurious products, like this jet bathtub and this, those fancy sinks where the tip of it is actually the sprayer. <gasps> I need one of those. You know what I'm talking about? Amazon wishlist, baby. Yep, it's on there. So it shows all these deluxe, like luxury items and the landlord goes, you know what? This is cool and all, but I can't afford this for every single unit, right? We're talking like 30 units here. I can't afford this. And so he says to, he says to the lady says to the guy, well, yeah, you're right. You can't afford it for every unit, but you could for, for your apartment, right? Like you're part of the complex. And you take care of everybody, so you kind of deserve it, don't you? And you can totally see where this is going, right? He goes shopping, and he goes home, 
and all the other tenants, realizing nothing in their apartment has been replaced or repaired, come pounding on his door, yelling, hey, what's going on? I thought the owner gave you all this money. Like, why is my sink still gurgling up weird stuff? And he doesn't answer, but what do they hear but the gurgling, gurgling of a jet bathtub in his living room. And as a, as a child, when I heard that, I audibly gasped. I was like, no, how could he? I was aghast at the audacity of it, truly, that this gift, this money from the owner, it wasn't just for the landlord's blessing. It wasn't for his benefit, was it? It, he was to be a steward of that money to bless the entire apartment complex. Instead, he received the gift, he hoarded it, he protected it, and he consumed it for his own blessing, and he shut everybody else out, right? So hot tub for him, shower in a bag for everybody else, right? Same with Sarah. Isaac was this precious gift given to her, no doubt, but it wasn't just for her. He was supposed to be a part of God's bigger plan of the redemption of all of creation. And yes, God had promised to bless Ishmael, but not at the expense of Isaac. God's promise isn't on a budget, right? There's plenty of blessing and promise to go around. God's blessing need not be rationed. But Sarah wasn't buying it. She was controlled by fear, by that need to protect the gift, instead of trusting the gift giver, right? And unfortunately, Sarah's arrogant, self-protecting exclusivism set the tone for the descendants, her descendants, the people of Israel, right? The entire Old Testament shows time and time again how Israel, the bearers of God's promise, he said, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. They were the worst stewards ever, right? They were received the blessing of God, the law, and the land, and God's presence. And they went out and bought a bunch of hot tubs, metaphorically speaking, right? Instead of embodying God's way of living in order to invite others to the table and to extend the blessing, instead they basked in the blessing, oppressing the poor and neglecting justice and acting as gatekeepers to God's family. Shame on Israel. Just shame on them, right? Shame on Sarah. Shame on all your descendants. But I'm afraid I do hear the pot calling the kettle black. Because we, the church, face the exact same temptations and end up playing the same game. How often have we experienced the love and the transformation of God having been blessed beyond measure? through God's gracious gifts of salvation and healing and restoration and forgiveness and mercy, and we often turn into blessing hoarders. We lock up the promise. We ration out the blessing for fear that it will run out, for fear that it will be corrupted, right? And we have been given gift upon gift. And instead of distributing the gifts, we rather stack them against the door to prevent the riffraff from getting in, right? lest they usurp our birthright, our status before God. And so sometimes we fall prey to this insider-outsider temptation. And the funny thing is, is the thing, where I've seen this the most starkly in the church is among parents, kind of like Sarah, and not in this local congregation. I have not seen this here. 
But church members in the past have been so eager to partner with us and say, yes, let's be hospitable to the outsider. Let's create space for them. Let's bring them in, rough and tumble though they may be. Let's bring them in until their children become teenagers. As their concern for their own child increases, for their own choices in their peer groups, they inevitably approach Tommy and I and would say, you know, I'm kind of concerned about, like, those kids. You, you know, those kids, like, from, from that home. And it almost always was masked with this, like, protection language. Like, we just really need to protect our kids, you know. Okay. I get it. I have kids too. And I too worry and I think about JoJo's peers and their influence on her. But heaven forbid that I become so preoccupied with protecting my own interests that I lose sight of the mission to which we all have been called. Blessed to be a blessing. Given light that we might share it, right? Saved for something, not just from something. Am I, like Sarah, so fearful, so unsure of God's promises that I need to take the role of gatekeeper, keep out the riffraff? What does that teach my babies about the mission of God? Because they have a part to play too. What does it teach them when I live out of the lie that God's promise is on a budget? Kind of stings a little. (laughs) So let's sit with that for a second and consider the rest of this passage. You know, for all my critique of Sarah, because she totally dropped the, you know, dropped the ball, messed up, here comes Ishmael, and here he is, and now she's sending him off into the wilderness. Can we just acknowledge for a second, uh, God went along with it. He said, yeah, sure, send Hagar and Ishmael off into the wilderness, like lepers or excommunicated criminals. So it made me ask the question, is God complicit in Sarah's oppression of Hagar? Is God so concerned with his promise to Abraham and Sarah that even God wants to get Ishmael out of the picture, right? That he would shoo them off into the wilderness. The wilderness is such an interesting place, biblically. Lots of stuff goes down in the wilderness, lots of God stuff. You think about uh, John the Baptist's ministry that took place in the wilderness. You think about Israel's wandering and being shaped into the people of God. That happened in the wilderness. Jesus' temptation happened in the wilderness. God's stuff happens in the wilderness. And the same is true for Hagar. Now, we didn't talk about this last week, but when Hagar first got pregnant, remember how she got pregnant because Sarah sent her off to Abram. It was awkward for everyone. And she got pregnant, and then Sarah got really, like, jealous and upset, and Hagar was scared, and she fled to the wilderness, fearing for her life. And so she's sitting in the wilderness. She's pregnant. She's abandoned. She's totally alone, thinking she's pretty much going to die, when an angel of the Lord appears to her and says to her in her distress... I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Now, I don't know what the name Ishmael means because that's not really in my game, my name pool. That wasn't top of the list, right? No, right below Jack? No, it wasn't Ishmael. So when you look it up, though, the name Ishmael actually means God hears. The Lord hears you. The Lord hears your cries. So Hagar stands up. 
she dusts herself off and the text tells us she names God. She says, you God are El Roy. You are the living God who sees me. You have heard my cry and you see me. And she goes back off to home and has the baby and everything's fine, right? Until now. And as Hagar and her now teenage son are shuffled off again into the wilderness once again, I have to imagine she's thinking, is God still Elroy? Does God still see me? Is God still Ishmael? Does God still hear me? Because it sure doesn't feel that way. God's special people, they're so preoccupied with their own blessing that they have banished me. Is God like that too? Where is Elroy? Where is the God who sees me? Does God hear me? Let's continue to read the rest of Hagar's story. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, Hagar cast the child under one of the bushes. She went then and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened up her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife from him from the land of Egypt. Hagar had totally given up on Elroy, the God who sees. She sat there in the dust, no longer believing that Ishmael, God, hears. She sat there in anguish, watching her and her son wither, just waiting for death, no expectation of a rescuer. But... God heard the voice of the boy. And God's messenger said, do not be afraid. Now, whenever you hear the phrase, do not be afraid in scripture, I can guarantee God's about to do something really cool, right? Because he said it to Moses. He says, do not be afraid. Uh, these Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. And he opens the sea and Israel passes through. He says it to, to Joshua right before they're supposed to enter the promised land and take on all these big bad guys. And he says, do not be afraid. He says it to Elijah's servant who is utterly terrified. He sees these hordes of chariots coming and he says, do not be afraid. The angel armies have surrounded you. He says it to a young girl, to Mary, as she fearfully accepts the call that God placed on her life to bear the Messiah. So whenever you hear, do not be afraid, think this. Heads up, I'm about to do something very godlike, something very king of the universe -y, okay? So to Hagar, God says, do not be afraid because I'm going to keep my promise to you too. Your son, though he is rejected by Abraham and Sarah, will not be forgotten. I will bless him too and make him a great nation. You see, God's promise is never on a budget. 
God's promise is rich beyond measure. It is deep beyond comprehension. It is a wild river overflowing its banks. It is the sun filling the whole world with light. It is abundant and free, even to a rejected outsider like Hagar. God hears. God sees, and he empowers Hagar to see as well, to see a literal well in the distance, thus saving their lives. The God who sees the oppressed, the God who hears the cries of the oppressed, makes a way in the wilderness towards a future. God shows himself to be once again a good future maker, even for the rejected outsider. God's character shines forth in this story, does it not? The God who sees, the God who hears, what incredibly good news. God is Elroy, he sees you. God is Ishmael, he hears you. And not just to the insiders like Abraham and Sarah, God sees and hears the outsider too, the unfavored one, the excluded. Now we can be assured the promise of God is going to move forward through Isaac, no doubt. But it's not going to be on the backs of the outsider. In God's economy, even the outsider is worth redeeming. Even the outsider is worthy of rescue. So God's character requires that even as he moves the story of salvation forward through Isaac and his family, On the fringes, those outsiders are not forgotten. They are not rejected, but they are heard and they are seen. But God's care for the oppressed and the abused Hagar and Ishmael doesn't just reveal God's character. It also reveals God's purposes, doesn't it? God's purposes as revealed in the promise, because the promise was always going to be, I will bless you in order that all the nations will be blessed. And so God's concern has always been, not just for the insiders, but for the whole picture, right? God's promise, God's abundant blessing is not on on a budget. It is abundant and free-flowing. There's an old hymn, so I had never heard of it. But I read the lyrics and it captured me. It said, There is a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. Now, I grew up in the Midwest, and so the vast majority of time that I've spent by the water has either been a pool, a pond, or a lake. And not even a great lake, more like a regular lake, right? And so when I was a kid, uh, my grandparents lived in Bremerton, and we were going to get to go see the ocean for the first time. I had seen it before, but I didn't remember, and I was so excited to go. And I wanted to see the ocean where you couldn't see the other side. Like, that was my measure of real ocean. If I can't see the other side, it must be ocean, right? I was so excited, and we get off the plane in Seattle, and we get on the ferry boat, and what? Have you been to the Puget Sound? That doesn't know an ocean. That's like a long lake, right? A salty lake. 
because it's basically like an inlet into the state of Washington. And so you, there, you can see the other side very, very clearly. And I was so disappointed. I was like, this is not the ocean. But my parents, they knew the desire of my heart. And so they took me to a place called Port Angeles. It's kind of like a coastal town. And I jumped out of the car as soon as we got there. And I ran to the beach with my four-year-old brother tagging along behind. And there it was, the ocean. The ocean where I couldn't see the other side. It was seemingly infinite. It was as vast as the sky, wider than my mind could contain. And my little eight-year-old heart felt full to bursting with the wonder of it. There is a wideness in God's mercy, a wideness like the sea. And strain though we might, our eyes will never catch a glimpse of the shore on the other side. How vast is his mercy on us. In our story, Sarah didn't understand the vastness of God's mercy, the richness of the promise, the depth of God's love and his commitment to creation. To her, God's promise was on a very tight budget and she needed to protect and defend and withhold from outsiders what God had always designed to be shared. And so Hagar, though she had no expectations of God's mercy, found herself plunged in the cool, infinite waters of God's mercy saved in every sense of the word. Where does this story find its place in us today? Well, this text certainly calls us to hope, does it not? The hope in a character of a God who sees. Elroy, the character of a God who is Ishmael, God who hears. It is a reminder that even if we have been cast aside and we find ourselves on the outside of the fence looking in, whether it be because of abuse or neglect or even our own bad choices, we can be assured God still hears you. God still sees you. And God will make a good future for you based on his promise, even in the middle of a barren wilderness. What a word of hope. But there's more to be said, isn't there? Because a lot of us in this room, myself included, are more like Sarah than we are comfortable admitting. I've already confessed today, I am the churchiest of church kids. Fourth generation Nazarene, as you would know, as I follow General Assembly every waking moment, right? I have been blessed with gifts beyond measure with godly parents, with a chance to go to a Christian university and attend seminary, with a godly husband and a hospitable church that loves me and who is learning to trust me as their shepherd. I am the most insidery of insiders. And so I have to ask myself, am I taking the gifts that I've been given? these blessed promises, these great acts of love from God, am I stacking them against the door lest I lose what's mine, lest my kids be corrupted by the outsider? Am I playing the role of gatekeeper, rationing out the mercy of God as if God were on a tight budget? Have I forgotten that there is a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea? Have we on occasion lost sight of the fact 
that we too have been blessed to be a blessing. We have not just been saved from something, we have been saved for something. To join God in his great work of redemption and restoration. Who am I excluding or treating as beyond the mercy of God? Lord, have mercy. Lord, forgive us of our arrogant exclusivism and reshape our hearts that we might be generous stewards of your good gifts for the world. May we no longer live as slaves to fear, but rest in the abundance of the promise in your great mercy that is wider than the sea. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lord, we give you thanks for your blessing. We give you thanks that you have welcomed us into your family. And we are reminded of that with Katie's baptism, that you have called to us, you have made a way for us, and you have invited us into your family. We have been blessed beyond measure. You have been and will continue to be the God who sees us. You are the God who hears us, and you are worthy of our trust. Lord, may we live into that promise. And in the same way, Father, may we never forget that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been given light in order to share it. So may we never be guilty of hoarding your promise and hoarding your blessing. May we continue to remember that your mercy is as vast as the sea, wider than we could imagine. Lord, shape us into the image of your Son, and may we give our lives away in order to share the blessing of your good news with a hurting world. We love you. Thank you for loving us so faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and receive the benediction? Beloved, extend your hands. Beloved, Christ Church, May you go from this place walking in the confidence that God sees and God hears. And may you never forget that his mercy is wider than the sea. And may you live into your blessing that you might be a blessing for the world. Go in action and go in peace. Amen. You are dismissed.